Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And we're in a series called Release of the Spirit. Last time in part one, we talked about the idea of us being temples of the living God. We saw all the different temples that God introduced in the past and will do so in the future. But we said that all of these temples were really God's pictures to teach us and prepare us for his ultimate temple, his ultimate dream that redeemed mankind will be uh, the temple of God. In other words, God's dream, God's purpose for man is that we, he would dwell in us and his glory and his life would shine out of us for all eternity. He made man to indwell to be his temple and that's what God is working to produce and so all these temples are pictures of God's ultimate temple what he wants to do for us and Jesus dying on the cross and taking our sins was actually as stage one as part of his plan to actually make us able to be temples of the living God because until sin is dealt with it becomes it's impossible for that to be And we're learning in this series how as temples of the living God, we receive the life of God in our spirit and how that life should be released through us and out of us. And so God's temples have a three, they all have a three-part plan to them. They're tripartite. And they consist of the Holy of Holies in the center, then the holy place, and then the outer court. And so there's one temple, but three parts all working together. And the reason for this is that man himself, the ultimate temple, is tripartite. We are spirit, soul, and body. As 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that may your whole spirit, soul, and body be sanctified. And so why are we of three parts? I believe it's because we're in the image of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but yet of three. So we live on three dimensions. First, the body. That corresponds to the outer court, and that's visible to all. And that's in contact with the natural realm. The the light, it's illuminated by natural light. Just as the outer court is in the temple, so our physical body. And then within that is the soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, our personality. And that corresponds to the holy place, which can't be seen from the outside. And in, the, in our mind, we, we contact the world of ideas. Uh, and that our soul is uh, illuminated by the light of the word and the spirit. And that answers to the menorah, because the holy place in the temple was illuminated by the menorah, uh, the oil uh, of the spirit giving illumination and so our men- we have mental illumination in our soul through the Word of God and then the spirit our spirit corresponds to the Holy of Holies and that's where God dwells by his spirit that's where God's throne is uh, the seat of his presence and glory and in the temple that was the Ark of the Covenant was God's throne where his glory dwelt in the Holy of Holies and There was no natural illumination at all in the Holy of Holies. The illumination was the glory of God. And that's how it is in your spirit. And our spirit contacts God, who is spirit, 
Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so it's the, our spirit contacts God. So our body contacts this world. Our mind, our soul contacts the world of ideas. But it's our spirit that is in contact with God. And so the life is in our spirit. God designed the spirit to be his dwelling place, his throne room, from which he reigns and pours forth his life. So God's plan for man is that we would be a temple of God's spirit. He would dwell in our spirit, and from there he would fill our soul and our body with his presence, his life, his glory. And he would flow out from our spirit as life-giving waters, shining out from our spirit as a glory. And although that will ultimately be fulfilled in, our, in the resurrection, we experience e this even now if we're born again. Now, the tripartite nature of man as God's temple can be seen by the way he made the first man. You always look for the first mention of anything to get the real meaning. So let's see how God made man in Genesis 2, 7. It says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That was the first component. That's his body made of the dust of the ground. And it says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, the breath is the same word for spirit, the breath of life. God breathed his very own spirit into man. And then it says, then the man became a living soul. So there we have the three parts, body, spirit, and soul. And this shows us how God made us. It was actually the spirit fusing with the, soul, with, with the body that formed the soul. So the soul is the connection between the spirit and the body. And so the life of the spirit flows through the soul to the body. And so the soul is in the middle, as it were. And that comes from the nature of man. But we are fundamentally a spirit who has a soul and we live in a body. Spirit, soul and body. At our core, the highest part of our being that, that derives from God's spirit, uh, it, it derives from the breath of God. And that's why we live forever, because we are spirit at our core. We have the spirit of life. And that's our essential identity. And that's where our potentiality lies. It's also the part of man that's in con designed to be in constant contact with God. And so the body derives its life from the ground. It has no intrinsic life in it. Uh, our true life is from the spirit. Um, that fusion of spirit and body created the soul. And from then on, we possess our, our spirit possesses our soul. When we die, our spirit soul separates from our body but it continues to live on because its origin is in the breath of God. Okay, so our real life is in the spirit. And that's why when we walk in the spirit, we will experience the life of God. It's not about how good our thoughts are, but our soul is important. But the life is in the spirit. Now, we can see, therefore, that the, the soul is the junction of the spirit and the body. 
Yes, we have God's life in our spirit, but it must be lived out. It must be released into this through our bodies, in our life in this world. And we need to learn how to tap into the life of the spirit and express it and demonstrate it in our life. And because it, the soul is between the spirit and the body, the life of the spirit must flow through the soul. That's why we must have our mind renewed to the, with the word of God. That's essential for the release of the Spirit. We've got to know who we are in Christ. We've got to know that we are temples of God in order to cooperate with those rivers that want to flow through us. And the condition of our soul is the major factor that determines how much of this new life of the Spirit we, we can release. Well, when Adam walked with God, <coughs> all the three parts of man operated in harmony. God's life in his spirit was transmitted through his soul into his body because his soul was just naturally submitted to his spirit as he trusted God. And through God's glory upon him and within him, he could exercise dominion over the animal and kingdom and everything went beautifully. But then something happened that disrupted this harmony. And... God had warned him about this. He said, if you rebel against me, um, everything will be disrupted. God said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Literally, this is dying, you will die. In other words, you will die spiritually, immediately, and that will result in your physical death too. So instead of life, there was death. And Adam's sin consisted of the decision of his soul to operate, because the will is in the soul, to operate in independence from God. He wanted to, to live by his own knowledge of good and evil rather than trusting and yielding to the life of God where God's wisdom and power was. And so he wanted to, to have that control. And that then cut him off from God. He wanted to be his own God rather than letting God be God. And so when he sinned, his spirit died. It was separated from God. It was cut off from the life of God, and man became a dysfunctional temple. And the presence of sin in his flesh began to control his soul instead, and it meant that he would, his body became mortal. He was doomed to die. And so God's glory had to leave the temple of man, and suddenly he found himself to be naked because no longer did that glory cover him. And God did not give up on man. He immediately set his plan into motion, praise God, to restore man to be God's temple. And he prophesied the coming of the Savior, the virgin-born seed of the woman who would undo the, the curse of sin and restore man to what God intended him to be as a true temple of the living God. And, and so that's why God started teaching man about temples and sacrifices, because all of this was his plan of restoration of man. Well, even so, until the Messiah came, mankind remained spiritually dead, because the new birth and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was just not available to mankind until Jesus came and died and rose again and brought in the new covenant. So in the Old Testament, nobody was born again yet. Jesus 
came to reactivate those broken down temples. Let's have a closer look to see what, how Christ came to change us from dysfunctional temples to temples of the living God, where God actually comes and lives inside us. Because that's what it's all about. He came as a sinless man, unlike all other men before. And so he could be the true prototype temple of God, a man indwelt with and filled with the Spirit of God, showing us what man is meant to be like. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And that word dwelt is the word tabernacled. It's the word used for that, for that tabernacle. He was literally God's tabernacle, God's temple, and in which was God's glory revealed. In his humanity, therefore, he was, was God dwelling in the midst of us. And he was the prototype temple. And his original form of humanity was described as a tabernacle. For the glory of God because it was a temporary structure. It only lasted 33 and a half years. But when he was resurrected, he wasn't just the tabernacle, he became the temple, that, that permanent uh, structure. He now is, uh, in his humanity, the temple of God, the eternal temple of God. Praise God. And the wonderful thing is that he is the prototype, which means we shall be like him. The glory that appeared to the shepherds at his birth, that was a sign that the temple of God was on the earth and the glory of God was associated with it. When he was baptized, he became, as it were, a fully functional temple with the Holy Spirit now coming upon him and flowing through him. And he was now a temple that was greater than Herod's temple, which explains his words in John 2, 19, when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And it says he was speaking of the temple of his body because he was now the real temple, carrying the Holy Spirit. As, as a sinless man, he was the prototype temple of God, bringing in the new age of the Spirit. And so it's interesting that actually from AD 30, by the Jewish own records, the supernatural things that were happening and associated with, with Herod's temple stopped. And it was almost like God was saying, I'm bringing in a new temple now. In John 4.19, Jesus confirmed this. this in his talk with the woman, the Samaritan woman. She asks, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place one ought to worship. In other words, she's saying, where should you go to meet God? Where, what is the true temple? The one on Mount Gerizim or the one on, in Jerusalem? And Jesus, so it's all about temples, you see. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will not, neither go on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, he's saying, God's going to bring in a brand new temple, a new kind of temple. The hour is coming, he says, and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What's he saying? The hour is coming. In other words, it's still future when worshippers won't have to go to a physical temple to contact God, worship God, because their spirit will be alive to God. 
they will become a temple of God and they will be able to worship God in anywhere in spirit and truth, spirit to spirit, because they're born again. And they will become temples of God themselves. But this was yet future when the time Jesus was talking. It would only be fulfilled after his death and resurrection. But I want you to notice something. He's didn't, he said the hour is coming and now is. So he says that there's a sense in which this is already true. It was present reality. Why? Because it was actually true for Jesus himself. He was right then and there, the temple of the living God. He was the first man who, who come into that reality, our living, walking, mobile temple of God. And he didn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God because he was, he was the presence of God was right where he was. So what was coming was that through the new covenant, many more living temples would be created after the image of that prototype. It would, in other words, through his death and resurrection, he would multiply himself in many. As he said in John 12, he said, the hour is come when the Son of Man shall be glorified. Surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. It multiplies itself through that death and burial and resurrection. And in John 4, Jesus actually described to the Samaritan woman how God would create these new temples through the new birth. Verse 10, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So it says in this new age, we'll be able to ask him and he will give us the spirit. We will be able to drink and receive his spirit within us. Verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst because the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain, a spring of water welling up into everlasting life. In other words, that's the new birth. The life of God will come on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit will be in us and we will have a reborn spirit that's like a, a, an eternal source of life on the inside of us. Praise God. And in, in John chapter 7, Jesus proclaimed himself as the one who would reactivate our temple and that God's spirit would flow out of us as rivers of living water. And Jesus chose the Feast of Tabernacles to reveal this because Tabernacles is the feast that speaks about God living in us, in his temples. You see, Passover in the first month is the first phase of God's plan, that God would, by the blood of the Passover lamb, would cleanse us from that sin. And that would make possible phase two, which Tabernacles speaks of, which is to be filled, that we would be reactivated as temples and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Tabernacles is all about. And so Jesus chose tabernacles to reveal what he was going to do. And, um, for instance, Solomon's temple was dedicated at tabernacles. And that's when God's glory was manifested there in that temple. And so tabernacles is the key feast for that. And to understand what Jesus was declaring, we have to understand the water-pouring ceremony. Uh, because Jesus chose that moment to proclaim what he, what he was doing. This was not in the Old Testament, but it was introduced by the prophet Isaiah. 
and he realized what the Messiah would do and so he created this ceremony that was very popular uh, and was acting out the drama of salvation and Jesus stood up and he claimed to be the fulfillment of that let me tell you very quickly what that is every day in tabernacles for seven days the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and Siloam in the Bible represent the waters represent the Holy Spirit and they would use a golden pitcher and and take water from pool of Siloam and with a joyful procession they would take that water back to the temple they would march all go marching round the altar and then the high priest would ascend up on high on the altar and pour out that water and they would do that for seven days and then on the seventh day was the big one because they would do everything seven times rather than just once and after the seven times there was great rejoicing great singing and finally the high priest would ascend up on high on the altar and pour and as he did that as he was about to pour they would all shout raise your hand that was a tradition that developed they wanted to see clearly that he would pour that water and he would pour the water actually into a silver a silver container on the altar which had a hole in it and it would the water would go through that hole and fall out onto the ground and at that moment when he's about to pour out the water there was a great hush as everyone watched in anticipation of this water being poured out and at this this was all a wonderful picture of what Jesus would do by the way because Jesus is our high priest and he the golden picture represents his his deity and he because of his perfection he received the water of life on our behalf and then when he died for us he ascended up on high as our great high priest and he poured out the Holy Spirit into us we are that silver vessel silver represents redemption the redeemed people are like cups that receive the water as it's poured into us but we are meant to have a hole in because we don't just keep the water, the water is meant to flow out through us to the world. And so he, we receive the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit flows through us. And that's exactly what was happening in John 7:37. It says, on the last day, on the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. And he waited for that moment when uh, there was that silence as the priest is about to pour out the water and at that moment Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water in other words he's saying I'm the fulfillment of this I am the source of the living water you you come and open your heart to me and if you will drink from me I am the great high priest who pours out the water I am that water of life and if you come to me and drink from me then as that water flows through that silver vessel to the earth so the rivers of living water is going to flow through you I am the fulfillment of this and as he made that claim everyone understood what he was going to do he's saying I am the Messiah I am fulfilling this ceremony and it says that he spoke this about the Spirit. The water was a picture of the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In his ascension, he would rise up on high, and he would pour out 
the Holy Spirit. And any, if anyone receives, then that Holy Spirit will start flowing out through us as rivers of living water. We are to receive the Spirit and then we are to release the Spirit. Let him come to me and drink, that's receiving. And then we are to release it. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God wants you to be a temple of the living God, a channel of that life, of that water. You know, there was another ceremony at Tabernacles called the, the Illumination Ceremony. There were massive 70-foot lamps in the temple that, in Jeru that all Jerusalem w was lit up by these enormous uh, lamps. And um, they, again, represent God's vision for the temple, that it would be the light of the world. The temple was called the light of the world. And shining out of the temple was this light. And that, again, is a picture of the Messiah and, and us. And so it says in John 8, 2, that early in the morning, the next morning on the eighth day, a special day of tabernacles that closed it, it says Jesus came into the temple and he made the claim at this point, deliberately at tabernacles, and he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of the temple. And the light of God flows out through me. But he said more than that. He says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a wonderful thing. It's not just that we'll be illuminated, but we will have the light of life. We will possess the light within us. In other words, we will be the light of the world too. In, it's not that just that Jesus is the temple of God. He's going to make us into temples of God. He's going to make us lights. We will radiate his life if we accept him. And that's what Jesus did in the new birth. He changed our spirit from darkness to light. He's, the blood of Jesus was sprinkled on our holy of holies in our spirit. And now the glory of God could come back into our spirit now that we're born again. And now we are the light in the Lord. And we can begin to shine his light to the world. Praise God. That's what God wants to do in our lives to make us temples of the living God, to have rivers of living water flowing out of us, to have his light shining out of us. That's God's plan for us, that we, Jesus came as the prototype temple, and in his death and resurrection, he reproduced himself in us, so that now we are temples of the living God. Isn't that amazing? We have the presence of God in us, and we need to learn to let that light shine and let those rivers flow. If you want some in-depth teaching on the release of the Spirit, how to release the power of the Spirit in your life, we have exactly what you need. There are three CD series here, each with eight CDs. Release of the Spirit 1, Release of the Spirit 2, and Release of the Spirit 3. And there's a special offer if you get two or three of these series. Let me encourage you that this is such an important area that we understand the dynamics of the Spirit in our life. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.